Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again, everyone, here on the 15th of June. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge. This is hour two of the show. If you didn't have a chance to hear that first hour, some really insightful analysis from Mark Caleb Smith, political science professor, on what's happening in our country uh, in terms of some pretty interesting headlines coming out of the Biden administration that their Department of Justice would like to defend some of the religious freedoms and exemptions that some institutions have. And we talked a little bit about intellectual honesty. I'll say more about that in just a minute. And of course, in the second half of last hour, we are joined by Stefano Fear about stories of hope from the Muslim world. And that was just so encouraging to see how God is moving all around the globe. And so if you're listening this morning, we'd love to hear from you as well as we get into this next conversation that I previewed at the end of last hour. And that is the hot potato topic of critical race theory. It seems to be everywhere in the news. Again, we're going to have Justin Gibney on in just a couple minutes. If you want to text in your thoughts or your questions about this subject, we can probably handle that in the course of the interview. It's at 877-933-2484. If you're at all like me, I'm a little bit weary of this conversation. Mm -hmm. It seems to be absolutely everywhere. You cannot get away from it. And uh, both sides demonizing the other. It seems like we almost have set up this false battle between people who would hold to the scriptures and people who would reject the scriptures in favor of critical race theory. And like anything else, it seems to be overly simplistic in this conversation. That's the part that gets me. And actually, even deeper, people using well something like critical race theory, which was originally an academic analytical tool, whether you agree with it or not, that's what it was, trying to use it as something more than an academic analytical tool. They're trying to make it some sort of, I guess the big word is meta narrative, to explain all things which it is not capable of doing. Yeah, it's not. It started, It's the, the seeds of critical race theory actually started in the legal profession in which it was analyzing some of the history of our country related to decisions that might have been right. made that were, were less fair to different people and, and well, different skin colors. And we see some of that even in the early stages of our country in terms of how African Americans have been treated as less than human. And so I think there's a fair analysis from the legal profession looking at critical race theory through that lens. But it was when the sociologists got a hold of this. And I say that from the perspective of blaming I, sociologists. Well, I am a sociologist. <laughs> that was my background. And of course, I'm a Christian sociologist, meaning that um, I, it informs all of how I view the world and the people of the world. But boy, when sociologists get a hold of something, they love to try to make blanket accusations and statements and generalizations mm-hmm. about all things based on maybe, oh, I don't know, an interview that they had. So I sometimes I'm less than sympathetic, uh, even towards my own profession of sociology. And I think that's part of why we're in the trouble that we're in related to critical race theory is people have used it um, in, in order to make sweeping generalizations about all kinds of people. And it breaks down even on its premises on a number of levels. So hopefully in this next conversation with Justin, we can practice that intellectual honesty, look at all sides of this conversation in the best way possible uh, through the lens of saying maybe there's some merit there or maybe there's not. How do we understand all of these things and how can we as believers, most importantly, shine a light in the midst of what is a very divisive conversation?
Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation and my admitted weariness about all things critical race theory that seems to dominate just about every conversation about anything at all, everywhere I go. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but it sure seems that way. Very grateful to be inviting Justin Gibney into the program to help us sort out in a fair-minded way what are some things that are maybe worth paying attention to and maybe some of those places that are entirely inconsistent with Christianity. Good morning, Justin. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate your willingness to step right into the heart of this issue. I know you've introduced a new video series called TGC Talks at the GospelCoalition.org is a place that you can see these talks as well. In the short video, you address some of the lies of both sides of this, and specifically self-serving lies conservatives and progressives tell themselves about issues like justice, identity politics, and critical race theory. The proposition being here, Justin, that both sides of this conversation are probably walking in some falsity somewhere. So maybe let's start with the conservative side of things. And where are you seeing some people that are maybe walking in some fog here? Well, for one, I think um, people just need to actually read up on what critical race theory is uh, and what it is. And I think you hit, hit on that before the break. Uh, because I think w- the biggest problem that I see from the conservative side is we have this romanticized version of American history. And one thing critical race theory does, which I'm not a supporter of all of it, and we can break down where it goes wrong, it does show us that we don't that this romanticized version of American history is 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 just a lie, right? I- I've always right. said that America has some exceptional things that it's done. You cannot deny you know some of the exceptional things America has done, but also has some exceptional transgressions. And unless we're willing to admit that, I think we are somewhat um, uh, going along with lies. Yeah, I think that's such an important point right there, Justin, to start with. In, in that phrase that I've been using this morning, intellectual honesty is so important if we're going to carve out a pathway of peace moving forward. And, and what you just said is that there are some very exceptional things that have been part of our country's history, I, I think. By any fair measure, you can you can say the way that the government was set up, the way that democracy was set up, what was really groundbreaking in terms of a system of government and, and really needs to be worth paying attention to. And yet you cannot turn a blind eye to the fact that people were taken on ships from, from the continent of Africa uh, and put into slavery and just brutal, horrific, horrible conditions. And so we, you, you don't have to say you, you hate America to, to say that as well. It just is simply part of the fact that we have to reckon with on both sides of this. That's right. I mean, it, you know, it becomes almost uh, idolatry to hold up America as this perfect place. And it allows us to think, you know, we're better than other people. Or we can just say, hey, let's deal with the verifiable facts of history and also realize that, th- that we do have things to be uh, godly proud about. And, and that's OK. Yeah, it's just like any other human being. Right. Most human beings have things that are really worth extolling uh, in terms of some of the virtues they might have and, and some skeletons in the closet and some really uh, difficult things that need to be attended to. So on the flip side of this, Justin, when you talk about the progressives who maybe are advocating for critical race theory across the board, where are you seeing some pitfalls here? Well, I think it assumes too much about what we know based on someone's race. I think race in general and many times can tell you something about someone's experience or things that they might experience in the world. But as I said in the, in the talk, it tells you nothing about their character. Uh, it tells you nothing about their competence. And when we act like we know so much about somebody based just on their race, that's just where it goes wrong. I think another place where it goes wrong is that a lot of uh, critical race theories don't want to deal with class at all, right? Because it kind of messes up the narrative. So uh, there are some things, especially when we make, uh, you know, kind of this racial essentialism and, and all those things, which I think go into very unbiblical territory. But just like any other idea, any other concept, 
Christians should be able to run it through biblical scrutiny. If there are things that we can keep, I think we can keep the idea that we need to um, sometimes map out power and identify abuses of power. The Bible does that, so we can keep that. But we can get rid of the racial essentialism and some of the uh, assumptions that just go too far. That's just like any other idea, theory, or system that we see uh, in academia or elsewhere. We should be able to do the same thing with critical race theory. Yeah, that's helpful. We're chatting with Justin Gibney this morning about critical race theory. It seems to be in the news everywhere in terms of using words like indoctrinating our students in in different institutions or government um, entities need to have uh, offices where it's being taught or whether it's in the military. It just seems to be everywhere here, Justin. If you're you're listening this morning, you want to text in a question to the studio at 877-933-2484. I'd love to hear from you on that. Justin, one of the principles within critical race theory is this idea of intersectionality, which uh, breaks people down into different kinds of identity groups. And if our listeners maybe are not familiar with this, even just that phrase intersectionality is, is it's getting tossed around. Why, why don't you talk about a little bit about what that is and maybe some things we can learn from that idea, if anything, or, or some critiques we might have of it, if anything? Yeah, I mean, so it looks at, I mean, for one, it kind of looks at people's experiences. So let's take an African-American woman. Uh, there would be obstacles that she may face as an African-American that might be on top of uh, obstacles that she faces as a woman. And so can we realize that it's not just, you know, there, there can be things that kind of come together, those intersections, rather than just one part of their identity. Again, I think it suffers from the same, you know, uh, thing that I said before is just assuming too much, uh, trying to take the idea that you can understand something from those experiences and those identities and say, this is always how it happens. And this is always how it's going to go. And then also, I think, taking power and making interactions between people with different identities all about power and and we should know that it can't be all about power sometimes it has to be about relationship has to be about compassion um and and so i think that's a a good start in understanding some of the flaws in 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 um in that way of thinking yeah i'd like to talk a little bit more about that specifically after the break but before we go there just maybe one more follow-up in this part of it to help our listeners understand because to your point that you said earlier, critical race theory seems to mean so many different things to so many different people as it moved from sort of the legal profession into the sociological profession. And when you're talking about power, my best understanding, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, is that in this concept of intersectionality, people are broken up into different groups, typically by the color of their skin, though it's been broadening out to more questions of, of sexual preference and orientation and, and all of that as well. And, you, and you're broken up into a group and then it's decided about whether your group has social power or doesn't have social power, or at least the degree to which your group has power and social power. And so if, like you said, if you are a black female, then it becomes about how much power you do or don't have. And if you don't have power, then you are to seek it. Or if you're a white female and the perception is that you do have power, then you're sort of required to give that power up. But but the heart of this really is about who has what power and, and the equations thereof. Is that a fair characterization of this? A lot of it is about power. And, and I want to be clear, there's something to that, right? right I mean, there are power dynamics in our society that a lot of it is based on race. A lot of it is based on uh, your sex. Um, even in some of it is based on your sexual orientation. Whether we agree with that or not, that doesn't mean that there's not kind of a, a power dynamic there. And so I think we can realize those power dynamics. We can assess them and identify them without kind of making them absolute, without saying that there's not something bigger at play, which we should be adhering to. 
No, I appreciate that, Justin. We're going to step away for just a minute, but when we come back, I want to get your perspective on the adoption of some of these principles within Christian organizations, whether it be churches or, or Christian universities. There does seem to be a move to maybe adopt some of the principles of critical race theory that's giving some people some consternation. So again, some places where maybe we can walk away from the ideas of critical race theory or what can we learn from it while we stay true to the kingdom. So more to come with Justin Gibney. If you have any questions again this morning about critical race theory, since it seems to be everywhere, you can text in at 877-933-2484. Stay with us. More to come. It's about 19 minutes past the top of the hour. We're chatting with Justin Gibney, regular contributor here to Mornings with Carmen about all things critical race theory oriented wise and justin before the break we were trying to at least define some terms and some of the principles of this and before we get into its intersection with christian institutions i think we can be really clear that the origin of critical race theory is not from the scripture it isn't from any kind of christian tradition it really is a a secularized look at racial relationships in the history of our country so we can be real clear-eyed that we're not trying to reinterpret the bible in some ways even as in just a minute we get into, are there some things we can learn from this? But this is not a biblical kind of thing that we're arguing for. No, it doesn't come out, you know, strictly out of the Bible. I mean, you had, uh, you know, um, legal scholars who were, again, looking at power and looking how the power, power is used, abused, and distributed throughout society. That's, that's where it starts. Yeah, good. So theologians are wont to say something like, uh, we, we learn about God from above, meaning the revelation of the text, and that is most important. There's a special revelation, but then there's also the idea of a revelation from below or sort of general revelation of how God is moving in the world. And, and these things live in tension, though special revelation needs to inform how, how we see the world around us. And are there things that we can learn about kingdom life from this secularized look at the world of criti- uh, critical race theory that helps us sort of understand relationships among brothers and sisters in Christ and those who are experiencing suffering and a lack of justice in our world. Yeah, I think there's something to be learned there. I mean, if if you believe in common grace, right, the idea that, you know, even non-believers can uh, uh, sense the truth, can can come to conclusions that are truthful, then there can be some truth in that conversation. Again, it's not an all or nothing proposition. And I don't think any, again, any system or hypothesis is an all necessarily an all or nothing proposition. There are certainly things that you need to leave out, but, but it's the intellectual honesty and it's the critical thinking that we need to move forward. And I think one of the problems we have here is that people are afraid um, that, you know, just, just afraid that almost the Bible can't deal with some of these systems or, or some of these theories. And so we just need to run away from it. Don't deal with it at all. It's going to lead us in the wrong way. And, and that's just not the way to go about it. Uh, Christians can look look at things uh, intellectually. Like you said, it needs to have that intellectual honesty. We don't need to run from stuff like that. Now, there is a question as to when we should be introduced to these these concepts and, and when it's helpful, but it's nothing to be afraid of uh, just, just to think through and, and, and critique. Yeah, let's go there now for a second, too. You just referenced the phrase, when are we introduced to these concepts? So what do you mean by that, Justin, and where are there some concerns about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now critical race theory is being used as a political football. So all these efforts to uh, make it, you know, make it so folks can't use it in schools and all this, I, I think that's more political than anything that's really even about the kids. I, th- I think it's, it's, it's the, to get people fired, to get the base fired up and have something else to, to push in front of them. Uh, I truly believe that. But at the same time, you know, I have young sons. I'm not going to be teaching them critical race theory right anytime soon. Uh, I'm going to teach them the real history 
of America. And that's the problem. I think too many people don't know the real history of America, which is what needs to be taught. Um, and they're jumping to the conclusion that anything that goes against their narrative is critical race theory. And that's uh, unfortunate. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Another angle on this, Justin, that I find as I'm working within churches and Christian institutions from time to time is that there always seems to be sort of this, uh, we, we give primacy to that which is most recent. And so this is sort of a recent idea again, and it gets all fashionable and it's all trendy among some. And, and I, it seems to me, at least outside looking in, that some of the more cosmopolitan Christians or, or some of the um, people that can sort of sit back and think about ideas, that, that they love to be part of whatever the trend is. They love to be seen as relevant and hip. And, and it seems to me that uh, maybe we're looking and bringing uh, critical race theory into conversations just to sound relevant sometimes as a church without really thinking clearly about the guardrails that we need to put in place if we're going to look at this. Yeah, I, I talked about this in um, Christianity Today in an article, I guess it was about two weeks ago yep. now, uh, where it is a problem, I think, among cosmopolitan Christians who who take secular progressive language um, and concepts and use it to be seen as evolved or intelligent. And so they bring it into these conversations almost to get acceptance from uh, the world. Uh, and that's something that we do have to pay attention to and we have to have a real conversation about. Again, I don't think it justifies the way that crit critical race theory is kind of being thrown around on the right. Um, I think it, it weakens the conversation because what I see happening is people using critical race theory to avoid all conversations about racial justice. And that is that's truly problematic, because in my view, I don't really need I've never based an argument about race in America on critical race theory. You know, I, I'll, I'll go back to um, Frederick Douglass. I'll go back to a, a whole bunch of. Orthodox Christians who are talking about this issue in real ways. I don't really need critical race theory to do that, but I, I don't appreciate people using it to avoid the whole conversation. Yeah, I think that would probably be the biggest concern in all of this, right, is is it's almost a, a fallacy or a straw man's argument to just say, hey, look, critical race theory is wrong. It's secularized. I shouldn't pay attention to that. And therefore, I'm not going to pay attention to issues of justice. And what you're saying is maybe that the best result of all of this is not that Christians try to look all cool and hip and build an industry and get on blogs and podcasts just so as they adopt Christian uh, or, or critical race theory, because that seems to be this little cottage industry, right, where all of the alleged experts are now going around on podcasts and talking about how important it is and all these things. Maybe, maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's simply a wake-up call to say, hey, look, we don't have to embrace critical race theory, but we do need to continue to reckon with the ideas of injustice in our country. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Uh, let's let's just be thoughtful about it. Right. Um, let's understand that there are people on both ideological sides that want to keep us from certain conversations. And let's treat this conversation like we treat all the things, whether it's capitalism or socialism. We critique them and see what's good and see what's bad. Do the same thing. It's, it's no, you know, no different than those situations. Hmm. Maybe Justin will wrap it up with this. Uh, can you think of maybe some words of, I don't know, Jesus and maybe what he had to say about this that we could start paying attention to if we're going to ignore critical race theory? Well, I'll say this. I mean, you know, if, if you look at Jesus' ministry and what he did for those who were powerless, who were, those who were seeing it as weak, there's a commentary on power. It doesn't say that power is that's bad, but power can become your condemnation, as it's been said before, if it's not stewarded properly. Um, and that's what Christians need to be focused on. Are we loving the weak? Are we loving the marginalized? And the power that we've been given, are we using it to glorify God and protect human dignity? Or has it been used otherwise?
Yeah, that's so helpful, Justin. It calls to mind that beautiful passage in Corinthians about, do you remember who you were when you were called? There's not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise, according to the things of this mm-hmm. world. But Jesus, uh, or God, certainly loves to take the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And, and I think for us as believers, for those of us that maybe get a little full of ourselves from time to time and our ideas and our thoughts and our positions, uh, thus ignoring the marginalized and so doing, we're guilty of those same things from, from those many thousand years ago now in the city of Corinth. There you go. Amen. Thanks so much, Justin, for joining us, kind of talking us through some of the dimensions of critical race theory, what to pay attention to, what to reject. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. That'll wrap up our time with Justin. We'll take a short break and come to some bottom of the hour news. And then we'll talk in the last part of the second hour uh, with Brandon Showalter around some things in Pride Month. And I think this might be Brandon's one of his last times, at least uh, in his podcast. And, and he's moving on to some new things. So I'll get some perspective from Brandon on that next day with us. More to come on Mornings Without Carmen. I love that phrase that John just used a second ago, clarity and courage. Those are things that we definitely need. And as we were thinking about the conversation with Justin Gibney just a couple of moments ago, it seems like in this critical race theory, issues of justice and diversity, all of these buzzwords, there seems to be a, a deep lack of clarity and a deep lack of courage. And sometimes it's because we're working off of a false premise when we can't find a way forward on either side of the conversation. So perhaps it is incumbent upon us as believers to step back and, and evaluate what we're thinking about either side of that, see that both sides maybe are, are living in a bit of fog and try to once again recapture the beautiful words of Jesus as a way moving forward, studying the text on its own merits rather than studying the words of social movements or of Christian organizations uh, that sometimes have different agendas. Let's get right back to the heart of the text where Jesus gives us a pretty clear pathway forward. And one person who does that on a regular basis is Brandon Showalter, the Christian Post, and looking forward to chatting with him next about transgenderism and Pride Month. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. This is Max Lucado. Unsheathe God's sword, the word of God, and brandish its glimmering blade in the face of evil. When you read or quote scripture in the face of pain or doubt or evil, you activate a weapon of the Spirit. Say, I know a verse in the Bible that might help. Or, a scripture that means much to me is, my go-to list includes scriptures like these. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. This is Max Lucado, and this is how happiness happens. That is one of my favorite passages from Revelation right there, where uh, John is looking up into the heavens and is wondering with through tears, is there anyone that can open the scroll? It is a picture of the one person who can begin the events that are the beginning of the end and when the king will return. It's one of my favorite passages because the lamb is worthy who was slain to take that scroll and open its seal. And as we talk about difficult topics this morning, like critical race theory, as we did with Justin Gibney and now up with Brandon Showalter talking about transgenderism, one of the things that's so great to be part of the Faith Radio Network is we can talk about it unashamedly and unabashedly from the perspective of the king of the eternal kingdom. Good morning, Brandon. 
Good morning, Peter. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's fun to hear your voice again. It's been a little while since we had a ch- uh, chance to chat, but I love the work that you do. And, and on behalf of the Christian Post, I know you're going to grad school as well coming up. So you'll continue your work, but it might take on a little different form moving forward from the way it sounds. Yes, I'm excited for a new season. Uh, Christian Post has been great, and I, I'm not leaving completely, but uh, it's just going to be a different different time. But uh, I'm very grateful for my colleagues and my editors who are journalistically standing for the gospel. And so that's that's what they're going to continue to do. Yeah, for people that are interested in just learning more about what's happening, some of the current headlines out of the LGBTQ community, and especially as part of Pride Month here, you released an article on the Christian Post on the 7th of June that is called Taking Back the Rainbow, Freedom March Declares Move of God Among Ex-LGBT People. Uh, take us uh, into this article. What did you see in, in writing this? Well, it's part of the larger movement of uh, what is called the Freedom March. My, actually, he's become a friend. Jeffrey McCall, former transsexual you know, male prostitute, had an encounter with God several years ago with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord you know, delivered him out of that identity and way of life. And he's just built a, a cadre of people who were once in those letters, and Jesus has encountered them. And so his vision was to put on an event called the Freedom March, where they declare their testimonies of salvation and healing through Jesus Christ. And then the scripture that God gave him was that passage in Colossians about how Jesus disempowered all you know, the evil authorities and made a public spectacle of them on the cross. And so what they do then is march through the streets declaring their freedom um, and just making a public pronunciation of what Jesus has done and who he is in their lives. And it has only continued to grow. And so this is my third time covering it just a few weeks, I guess it would have been just, just several days ago now. Um, but if you ever want to be encouraged about what the Holy Spirit is doing, go meet some of these, you know, formerly LGBT men and women. They are the most kind but boldest Christians that I know. And they're just so unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his power has done in their lives. No, it's not always an easy walk you know, having, you know, exited that life and identity, but just the stories of encouragement and just radical divine intervention are just, they're just so heart stirring. Two um, survivors of the Pulse nightclub massacre in 2016 are a part of that. Uh, Luis Javier Ruiz and Angel Colon. Um, I interviewed Angel Colon in that article, but they, I mean, he was shot several times by Omar Mateen in that, in that massacre and just, it's just extraordinary what God's doing amongst that crowd of people. And they came to Washington as part of, you know, several groups who are contending against legislation and policies where lawmakers are seeking to outlaw any kind of counseling options that's, you know, derisively referred to as quote unquote conversion therapy. But a lot of these people were really helped by being able to talk to a pastor or a counselor by, you know, sorting through underlying issues that contributed to their you know, unwanted same-sex attraction or gender confusion, that kind of thing. Um, I I just cannot say how encouraged I was to see, as a journalist on the front lines, you see so much Pride Month stuff, and especially with the transgender issue these days. Uh, but these Christians who are taking back the rainbow are just are just so encouraging. Yeah, it is really encouraging is the right word because I think we have probably for a number of years now, many of us have felt paralyzed 
about what to do as our loved ones and significant friends are, are walking in some of the lies related to sexual orientation and the belief that we can find hope and wholeness and changing our gender or embracing some sort of attraction that we may or may not have and just all the lies associated with that. And what we see, I think, in God's kingdom over and over and over again in the pages of Scripture, as well as through the lens of history, that God, he does not lose hope. He continues to call out people. And there's always these movements of reformation that begin to shine that which is true in the midst of very troubling darkness. And, and maybe this is some of the first steps in that as, as we've been in this descent for some time. But, but it sure seems like hope is coming from there, Brandon. It really is. It really is hopeful. And uh, it's not a cliche to say that nothing is impossible with God. In terms of, are, are they making some headway in terms of having a lot of people at these marches? I mean, I've got to believe it still pales in comparison to what we see with the pride agenda that's going on in our country. But are you seeing some headway being made besides the fact that it's happening? Are, are people's minds beginning to change or or getting some momentum moving forward? Well, I think so. I mean, the, the events have grown ever since I started covering it, and they've been hosting a few of these around the country, and the response is growing and people are streaming it online Jeffrey told me that with the pandemic, they have received an uptick in correspondence of, I think, especially people had to really get real with God during COVID because they had all the time on their hands, especially if they were locked down. And he, he, he says that there is absolutely more and more people reaching out every day. Um, no, it doesn't have the corporate backing like Pride Month, but there absolutely is momentum. And what's interesting as well is that I'm actually hearing from increasing numbers of gays and lesbians these days who are absolutely appalled at what's happening to with with the transgender and the gender identity movement um, believe it or not because if you're same-sex attracted it's profoundly offensive to be told that that's bigoted because a man can really be a woman mm-hmm. i mean it's I mean, it's, it, it's fraught with so many contradictions but i mean i i been seen evidence of you know young people who are experiencing same-sex attraction and they're being told well what that really means now it's no longer cool to be gay it's you know you just got to be trans or queer or non-binary or something that if you're experiencing same-sex attraction what that really means is that you're born in the wrong body and you need to become the opposite sex you need to be trans i mean that's horrifying and i as a christian though i'm certainly a believer in our faith's historic teaching on sexual ethics and marriage i find it unconscionable but that same-sex attracted people are being told that the solution to their issue or whatever is synthetic hormones. I mean, that's that's just staggeringly awful. And I have no problem saying that at all. And so I will stand with gays and lesbians and saying, <laughs> no, that's, that's not that's not right. That needs to stop. And I mean, it, it, it's bewildering, but I'm telling you it's happening. I'm seeing it on the front lines. Yeah, I want to talk about that more. We're going to step away for just a second, Brandon, but let's get into some of that as well, because it's pretty interesting to watch what it appears to be, at least from a propaganda standpoint, to be this united community that is called the LGBTQ community, and they're, and they're all together in one purpose, but there really are some fissures that are growing in that. And uh, to understand some of those things, I think, even gives us a little bit more hope. It is really the characteristic of the kingdom, or one of the primary ones we have as believers, if you have loved ones, friends, family members, as many of us do right now, that are are, are walking in these steps. We serve a God of ever-increasing hope. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. And uh, we can continue to pray and walk in these ways. And people like Brandon Schulwalter can help us understand a little bit more about what's happening. So, Brandon, just a minute. I'd love to get your perspective on some of the fractures that are going on within the community itself.
Sure love chatting with people like Brandon Showalter who are on the front lines of some of these very, very confusing realities in our country that have impacted us in many different ways as believers. And Brandon, before the break, we talked a little bit about sort of the propaganda uh, of any kind of given movement, but specifically in this movement of the LGBTQ community, there's the sense in which they want to promote a united front and uh, that this is one big pride month for everybody that would associate with one of those letters or the some hundred others that could be part of the community. But when you when you get closer to it, there really is a, a lot of division in this. So tell us a bit about that. Yes, it's it's not all one big happy family. And I have I've seen as the years have gone by, even, you know, reporting on this uh, you know, journalistically, I- increasing you know, divides, especially especially lesbians. I have, have talked to some, you know, both people who currently live and are identifying themselves as lesbians and some who, like we were talking about in the previous segment, who once lived and identified that way, that women are very demeaned within the LGBT. The, the experience, the lesbian experience is very much diminished and not paid attention to. It's male-dominated, male interests are prioritized. And... Uh, especially with the ascendancy of the T within the LGBT, women are really, um, really held down and oppressed. And it's, it's absolutely appalling. I mean, I just, I shudder and shiver when I hear some of the stories from, you know, lesbians who have talked to me about what's going on. And, you know, there's no, (laughs) very few lesbian bars anymore because they've all basically been taken over by men who not only claim to be women, but, men who claim to be lesbians. I mean, that, it's, that, that's how insane it has gotten. Uh, you know, by the way, a man can't be a lesbian, just so you know. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just let me say that for the record. Right. And so the fact, the fact that all this is just fraught with so contradictions doesn't seem to be stopping the larger engine driving all of this, but it's far from this one big happy rainbow family. It's not the truth at all. There's a lot of antagonism going on within it. And, uh, it's really all about the money, it seems to be. It's, it's corporate marketing, this whole Pride Month LGBTQ movement is. Um, I think there are, especially with, with the, we talk about the T a lot, but then it goes on to the Q. And with queer theory, that's, that's turning a lot of people, I mean, people who are just identifying as something, they don't, they don't even know what they are. It's just this kind of confusing morass. And this is being pushed increasingly on children. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are within the LGBTQ that are just they kind of things detracted and they just kind of want to live their lives very quietly with their partners and whatever. But they know what it's like to endure the accusation, you know, from, you know, people several decades ago. That, oh, they're going to come after the children and all that kind of stuff. Well, <laughs> some of that's actually happening now, and they're very upset about that because they don't support that. Um and it's 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 a very scary thing um, to just to watch it all happen, and particularly when you consider and how just overtly sexual. And you see some really really just edgy stuff, you know, people walking on dog leashes, and there's just really really inappropriate kind of horrible stuff, and there's children around them. So it it only has getting progressively progressively worse, it seems. And I'm watching you know, corresponding with people who are very secular on the political left are not in any way Christian or religiously observant at all. And they're getting disgusted with it too, because it's just pushing things way too far. 
I it's going to be interesting to see where where it all goes because um, whether or not these internal you know fissures, as you were saying, uh, continue to happen, will it collapse from within? I don't know. It remains to be seen. Uh, but it is why I have great hope for the freedom marchers that we were talking about in the previous segment to sort of reach out in love because I think there are going to be a lot of hurting people that um, just might rethink this whole thing um, if things get really too bad. Yeah, indeed. I think it's really helpful to understand some of the logical fallacies on which these movements are built. I think sometimes, Brandon, that uh, if we adopt the principles of maybe even critical theory and something like intersectionality, meaning that we define ourselves by our our sense of identity, that uh, today, if, as a, as a white male within that kind of evaluation, I shouldn't be listened to or have anything to say. But if I showed up on the show tomorrow morning and declared that I was a transgender male, suddenly I should be listened to. And some of these things are oh, just yeah. the logical fallacies that we need to, to continue to point out. And part of what's helpful is I know a documentary is coming up that you wanted to highlight that I think could be really helpful for people. So tell us about that. Well, just to tag on to your point there, <laughs> at, at the top of the transgender movement are a bunch of rich white, a bunch of rich white males right, right, <laughs> who claim exactly. to be oppressed. This is the irony of it. Yeah, it, but yes, the, do, the documentary that, is, that you mentioned is coming out by my friend, Jennifer Law, who's the founder of the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network out in California. And I have gotten a chance as a journalist you know, to get a perk. I pre-screened the film. It is excellent. Hmm. It's 50 minutes long. It covers so many angles. It interviews radical feminists. I mean, Jennifer's a wonderful Christian, but this movie doesn't have an ounce of religious content in it, even though some of the contributors are Christian. But it interviews a family doctor, two endocrinologists who are brilliant, uh, radical feminists, an evolutionary biologist, devastated parents. And then they show two voices who are pro-transgender to show the other side. But the, the film is called Transmission, What's the Rush to Reassign Gender? And it just explores this question of, of young people being rushed into changing their gender medically as the solution to all their problems. And it explores just what's going on within it and the dynamics that uh, factor in to these situations. It's going to be a very thought-provoking documentary. Uh, I think the harms of transgender medicine are effectively shown, but you also learn how the other side is thinking about this. And it's, I just, I cannot say enough good things about it. I think it's just so terrific. Um, when people ask me to talk about transgenderism, what I often tell them is that at base, it is a medical scandal. I believe that we are currently living through one of the most gigantic medical scandals the world has ever seen. Because unlike previous ones, this one is socially sanctioned and celebrated. Mm. And it's when this breaks, I think I will be among the few people and my feminist friends will be among the few people who are not shocked at the scope of the carnage. How many young people, you know, children, teenagers and young adults have wound up sterile and with you know, fractured psyches and surgically disfigured bodies. We sliced up so many of them. It's really quite a disgrace. But because their handmaidens are in the media, I mean, I think the mass media is not only complicit in it, but driving it. Yeah. Because none of this would be happening if any of these experimental practices were subjected to any kind of scrutiny. I'm one of the few journalists in the country that are saying, hold on, wait a second. No, it's physically impossible to change sex, and you can't give a child drugs to make them appear as the opposite sex. None of this has been tested. None of this has been you know, well-studied. And I mean, it, it, on its face, we just know it's absurd because human beings can't change sex and yeah. it's shrouded in so much, you know, linguistic manipulation. The word gender wasn't even 
a medical term at all before the 50s and the 60s. It was linguistic, and it was used interchangeably with sex. So there's yeah. just so many, so many of the lies of the gender identity movement are unpacked and addressed effectively in this documentary. And I can't recommend enough that people can see it. It'll be streamed on YouTube and Vimeo, Center for Bioethics and Culture. Thanks so much, Brandon. Really appreciate that. Looking forward to I'll give the listeners a tip about where to go again on that. We'll take a short break and wrap up our show here for the 15th of June. Great stuff from Brandon Showalter. Quickly, if you want to catch that documentary he referenced that is coming out this Thursday, you can go to the Center of Bio cultural and uh, no bioethics and and culture thank you the youtube show great show great uh, to be with all of you again this morning as we follow jesus in this world in this time i'm looking forward to getting up again tomorrow with all of you and we will continue to do just that have a great day everybody thanks for listening to this podcast of mornings with carmen laburge from faith radio if you haven't you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through itunes or the google play music app That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.